Hi everyone, this is Scott Lecky, your co-host of Jointly Venturing, the world's only podcast that we know of, tell us, that, tell us if we're wrong, that's dedicated to the question of world citizenship, what it means to be a world citizen, and ultimately what worldview one needs to have in order to be a world citizen and, and to be in a position to actually promote that way of our collective political evolution towards a political future that we believe to be far, far brighter uh, than our contemporary political reality, our past political reality, and grounded in the very simple and very easy to understand notion that if we're all human beings, we should all be equals within the same political system based upon a shared nationality, which all of us have as world citizens. So today, welcome to episode 15 of Jointly Venturing, where we're going to talk about how you can literally change the world. And all of us, in one way or another, have had aspirations to change the world in different ways. And usually we think of that in, in very gargantuan, massive terms. Oh, I wish the whole world would, would change and there would be no suffering. Oh, I wish there would be true equality. Oh, I wish there would be prosperity and peace for all. And there's nothing wrong with those sentiments whatsoever. But normally, in the real world, real change tends to take place at a moment-by-moment -moment basis, person-by-person -person basis, and slowly but surely over time, things do, in fact, change. Very often just based on an idea or even a phrase that someone might utter. And that, that then suddenly over a period of years becomes a series of articles and books, which then turns into a policy in one country, which then turns into a policy in many countries, and then at the UN, and then those policies slowly but surely morph into laws that then one day ultimately become uh, international laws. And that's generally the process through which change can actually occur. Today we're going to talk about how you, literally you, whoever you are, anywhere on this planet, can play a positive role in changing the world by focusing on one particular issue in one particular country. The issue is climate displacement, the, the removal of people out of necessity because of climate change of people across the world to new places where they may or may not wish to live. The key ingredient shared by all of these cases of displacement being the negative impacts of climate change on their current abode. No country is more affected by this in the world today than Bangladesh, um, a country where I have visited, uh, where I have a large number of contacts, and where we have continued to do projects for a number of years. So today we're going to talk about the issue of climate displacement in Bangladesh, not so much about the impacts of it, which will ultimately affect 30, 40, maybe 50 million people in a country of 170 million people, but in particular, what can be done about it? And I, with my other hat, one of my other hats on, as director of an NGO called Displacement Solutions, have worked on this question of climate displacement for a very long time, since the early 2000s. And one of the approaches we have, we have taken is simply to say that it's not enough to say that, oh, 50 million, 250 million, 500 million, maybe even a billion people would be displaced from their homes because of climate change. That's all well and true and good, just a question of measuring the scale of it, not to say that it's not the most pressing issue in the world, for it is, ultimately. But the main point to be made here is what do we do about it? Do we simply let market forces play themselves out and people that are then responsible for finding their own 
new houses somewhere else, new pieces of land somewhere else? Do governments have to pay compensation in this regard? Do governments have any role to play in terms of finding new places for these people to live? Should um, new houses be constructed for these people? The list is endless. And still the jury is out at the political level, the highest levels, uh, the highest political levels globally. Um, and there are good examples of planned relocation working. There are other examples of planned climate relocation not working. Um, and we, you know, we will dedicate ourselves to exploring many of those other issues around the world in a future podcast. But for this podcast, we're focusing just on Bangladesh, just on some coastal dwellers in the southeast corner of Bangladesh who are living on an island called Sandeep Island, uh, which is one of the ultimate front lines in the battle against climate displacement. And we'll be speaking in particular to our Bangladeshi friends and colleagues from IPSA, which stands for Young Power in Social Action, YPSA, one of the leading NGOs in Bangladesh, with whom Displacement Solutions has had a many, many year fruitful relationship with. And we're going to be speaking with both their executive director and founder, um, Arif Rahman, as well as the man in charge of their housing, land, and property rights initiative, and the One House, One Family at a Time project, Mr. Shah Jahan Mohammed. And together we will learn through our conversation with them about this program that we developed some years ago called OHOF, O-H-O-F, One House, One Family. As far as we know, and once again inform us if we're wrong, uh, this is the first program anywhere in the world which enables any single person in the world who would like to donate funding directly to support a housing initiative in favor of climate displaced people to do so. So to date, in the last two years, we have built, on the basis of donations from private individuals, um, a total of eight houses in safe locations uh, near Chittagong, the second largest city in Bangladesh. And these houses are exclusively now resided in by some of the most vulnerable families in the country who have had to leave their former homes because of climate change. This whole process is managed and organized and, uh, and overseen by IPSA, uh, by Shah Jahan in particular, uh, with the assistance of displacement solutions and our role in this of course is general oversight to make sure that everything happens according to way, the way it's meant to happen and also to raise money globally so that it can be sent back to Bangladesh for them to construct these homes. Amazingly to construct an entire home for one family of six people including the cost of land, windows, doors, security bars, roofing, solar panels, drainage, toilets, kitchen facilities, etc., is precisely 8,312 US dollars. So just imagine that based upon the value of your own home or the value of your neighbor's homes or the value of homes throughout your country, wherever you may be. And you can see that the price of actually solving forever the, the displacement problems of an individual family in Bangladesh is far less than one would generally presume. So like I said, we've built eight houses thus far um, during the first two phases of the program, and we're hoping to build a further 12, at least during 2020 next year, um, which will in the end cost somewhere in the range of 90000 US dollars, that's still to be uh, determined based on current building material prices 
in Bangladesh. But importantly for you, listener, whoever you may be, the main point that we want to make is that you individually can play part of the solution for climate displacement directly by giving whatever amount you can afford towards the OHOF, OHOF program that we run and, and administer. I can assure you uh, that 100% of any donation you make, whether it's $1 or a million, and everything in between goes straight to Bangladesh. Displacement Solutions gets no money whatsoever for this program, and we don't want to. We're very happy to do this program voluntarily uh, so that every single dollar that we do raise can go straight into uh, Bangladesh for the construction of these homes. Um, currently, several dozen people are residing in the homes that already exist, and, and by the end of Phase 3, at the end of 2020, we would hope that somewhere in the range of 120 people will have new homes, solid homes, adequate homes, that they can call their own, and will be able to find a solution for them for the displacement that they've incurred due to no, no fault of their own, circumstances far beyond their control, generated by the effects of climate change. So today we're just going to speak briefly with both Arif, the director of IPSA, and Shah Jahan, I believe he's the deputy director these days, as well as the person in charge of the OHOF program. Uh, we're speaking to them directly from Dhaka, um, I believe, or else Chittagong. We'll ask them in a moment. Um, I'm not really sure. It's one of those two places. And then once um, our discussion with them has come to an end, um, we will then also speak with former UNHCR, UN High Commissioner for Refugees uh, staff member, Brian Gorlick, who recently uh, went to visit the housing sites in uh, eastern Bangladesh. He lives in Dhaka, Bangladesh now. Um, and he visited the sites, he spoke with many of the families, and has a lot of really interesting and, and quite uplifting things to say about the, uh, the OHOF project, um, where it has gone now and where it is going to go to um, in the future. So we really hope that you will give some thought to the idea of either yourself lending a hand with this process or letting others know anywhere that you may know people that might be interested, that they themselves can become a direct part of the solution to solving climate displacement. So many people around the world want to change the world. They want to do something that will make the world a better place. This is your opportunity, and that is precisely one of the main reasons why we developed this program in the first place. We want to give people a direct means by which they themselves can contribute clearly to ways of solving this crisis. If we don't do anything, if governments don't do anything, if the United Nations doesn't do anything, if the global community as a whole doesn't do anything to directly benefit the millions upon millions of people that are going to lose their homes, the only result will be more deprivation, more poverty, more slums, more hunger, more loss of livelihood, more tension, more instability, and so on and so on. We need to find concrete ways of ensuring that everyone everywhere, all the time, has a decent place to live. And in doing so, we should start with the most vulnerable, the people who are least likely to be able to find a good solution for themselves. And that is really people living along the coastlines of southeastern Bangladesh. So with that, uh, we'll be speaking very shortly to both Arif Rahman and Muhammad Shah, Shah Jahan about the work 
they're doing in Bangladesh with vulnerable communities under the auspices of the One House, One Family at a Time project. So today we're very happy to speak with uh, Shah Jahan from IPSA, who is in charge of the One House, One Family program, and will shortly be joined by um, Arif, who is the director and founder of IPSA. So Shah Jahan, how are you today? Hi, Scott. I am fine. Thank you. Hope you are also good and going your work is very nice. Yeah, all is well here, except it's very hot in Australia today. It's one of those days when Australia is actually hotter than Bangladesh, which is not that common. But I think we probably beat you by about six degrees because it's 38 here and it's probably 32 where you are, right? I think it's below now. It's uh, around the 25 to 28 degrees Celsius uh, now in Bangladesh. But I think it is very much hotter. Australia now is very much hotter than Bangladesh. Oh, yeah. The effect of the climate change. Yeah, we're way ahead of you then. Are you? By the way, are you in Dhaka now or in Chittagong? I am now in Chittagong, our headquarters. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Yeah, because I wasn't sure if you were there or in the in the capital. Yeah, so today we're talking, we're trying to um, let people know about OHOF, about the One House, One Family program. So maybe you can just tell us um, a little bit about where things are now um, and what are some of the things that have been, been interesting to learn about the process. Because I was telling listeners that one of the unique things about OHOF is it's one of the first times that people anywhere have tried to very consciously find long-term housing solutions for climate displaced families. And we're focusing on Bangladesh, of course, because Bangladesh is at so much risk of uh, large-scale climate displacement. And we are starting small, right? We're starting at a family-by-family basis, and we want to make the point, of course, that uh, this is really ultimately the responsibility of governments everywhere to address this question of climate displacement. And we're really hoping to, to create kind of a model that can be used around the world to in, encourage people and governments and agencies everywhere to, you know, treat climate displaced people as the rights holders that they are. And, you know, we realize it's a small step, but nonetheless, we think it's an important step. And we certainly could never do it without you. Um, at the head of it. So tell us some of your thoughts, uh, Shah Jahan Bai, about, uh, about running OHOF. What's it like and, um, and, and how do you see it? It is a good thing that, uh, first of all, I want to introduce uh, our chief executive, Muhammad Arifur Rahman. He is already joined with us and he will say the hello to you. Welcome, Arif. Um, maybe you can introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about IPSA real quickly before we go on to talk more about OHOF. Okay. Uh, you know, the IPSA stands for Young Power in Social Action. It's a local organization based in Chittagong. So we are running uh, more than three decades. Mostly we are working in the southeastern part of Bangladesh. So we had a partnership with Displacement Solution now near about 10 years. So we are working together, uh, uh, working on the climate displacement issue. IPSA, we are running the different types of program in the entire coastal and the hill areas of uh, southeastern part of Bangladesh. And we are one of the uh, first local organization who responded to the Rohingya 
uh, crisis response program. So uh, we work with government and also we work with the uh, civil society. We, we work with the disadvantaged uh, different groups, uh, the different communities in the Bangladesh. So this is the, like a, in a nutshell uh, uh, about the, our organization and we are very happy uh, to be to be an active partner of displacement solution to work on the displacement issues in Bangladesh. Yeah, well, we are equally happy to be a close partner with you to uh, run the, the OHOF project. So, I mean, how are things going now with OHOF um, um, in phase two? Do you think the houses will be done by the end of 2019 or are we looking at 2020? Where, where do things stand now? Yeah, I think Shahjan can uh, give you the latest updates because of the there's a huge uh, the task is going on at the field level. So Shahjan can update you. Sure. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Scott, Scott boy, and um, you know uh, we uh, we have been actually working uh, with displacement solutions uh, um, with the initiative of the Bangladesh Housing and Land Housing Land and Property Rights Initiative since 2011 and in the initial stages uh, we have uh, started to actually um, uh, to know the real fact of the grassroots and we have talked to the different community people civil society organization government and different other stakeholder to know the fact what is going on in the field and after a couple of years we have studied different things and find out the different solution also and then actually we started to advocate with the different ministries, different government officials, local government uh, to raise awareness on the climate displacement issues so that climate displaced people can get their rights. After a couple of years working with the uh, advocacy issues, we realized that this is the time to show something to the international audience, government and the local government um, to work something for the climate displaced people and we have initiated together with the displacement solutions uh, the one house one family at a time in the initial first phase we have successfully completed the four houses and we have relocated the four families from the shundip island this is the isolated island and very vulnerable to the climate displacement and they are now actually living in their new location with the, maintaining the harmony with the host community and we are uh, after successfully implementing the phase one of the one house one family at a time project we have now started the another relocating another four families in the nearby location uh, of the previous four house family and they are also selected uh, from the shundip island hopefully uh, by february we, we, will, we will be able to complete the all tasks and can be relocate the four families Excellent, excellent. And then we can start planning for phase three for 2020, of course. Yes. Now, can you, now, the, how supportive is the government of, of this project of ours? I mean, have people from the government visited the housing sites? Can you say anything about that? Yes, already, already, you already know that the, our chief climate change negotiator to the international level, Mr. Muhammad Khalikud Jaman. He, he always visited our uh, location, also different uh, local government and administration and local elected bodies already visited our program and they absolutely appraised this uh, program and uh, 
and hopefully actually other stakeholder will also take this advantage to relocate more families but you you uh, you know that that this is the actual responsibility of the government to ensure the rights of the climate displaced people but our work is the model to show the government local government civil society organization and international community uh, to so that they can learn from this program and come forward to solve the crisis of the housing program of housing problem of the climate displaced people you also will be also be happy that uh, recently i i um, presented one case from bangladesh in the international tribunal on eviction and that was particularly on the uh, climate force evicted people and we have appraised they appraised actually this program very much and i also showed our one house one family at a time this as a solution of the climate uh, housing solution of the climate displaced people excellent excellent now maybe you can tell some of our listeners just you know for most of the world has never been to bangladesh they've only heard about bangladesh um and generally you know the message that the world gets about bangladesh is not necessarily positive it looks to be very crowded very poor very hot very flooded all of these things so Tell, tell people that don't know about Bangladesh, you know, tell us some of the good things that you love about Bangladesh and, and why we should see Bangladesh differently than people often see it. Yes, uh, this is the very good thing that, that uh, when uh, I met with different people and, and I also spoke with two media, one is the Austria and another is the Italian media. Um, I, I, I gave them the interview about the climate displacement and climate change in Bangladesh and um, that time also they are very much curious to know about Bangladesh as you know that Bangladesh is one of the vulnerable countries in the world but the previously actually they know Bangladesh very negatively as you said that Bangladesh is the very poor country density populated country but they know now Bangladesh as a rising um, country one of the um, potential country in the world but they have some problem and uh, this problem actually can be um, um, can be solved through actually um, um, combined effort and for the region actually we need the international solidarity and the government effort or the civil society organization actually active role so for the region um, whenever actually we talk to people they want to know about the solution so for the region actually we have the solution and we have been able to show the solution what we have done and it is very much I have it, this initiative have been very much appreciated and uh, hopefully actually in the near future more donor and international community come forward to work on these issues yeah absolutely I couldn't agree more and you know the one of the things that always strikes me about uh, Bangladesh is how how committed people are in Bangladesh to making the country a better place, you know, against all odds, because the challenges are huge, right? Your geography right. is challenging. Mm -hmm. Your climate change impacts are challenging. You know, the level of poverty is challenging. But the, the strides that have been made since independence in Bangladesh are truly extraordinary. Uh, right. You've reduced poverty levels so much. You've reduced hunger which was widespread and, and at famine levels uh, repeatedly um, in previous decades, down to almost zero. Um, you've reduced all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, the incidence of certain diseases. 
and have really made you know incredible strides in uh, improving conditions for people in the country despite all those obstacles and that's something that you know always strikes me in a, in a favorable way when i go to bangladesh or think of bangladesh but nonetheless we we have this issue of climate displacement on the horizon and not just on the horizon it's it's already affecting uh, communities across Bangladesh and you know it's obviously our collective hope um, displacement solutions representing in effect the international community and IPSA representing Bangladesh that we can find a way forward that actually provides concrete solutions for climate displaced families instead of simply leaving it to the market or leaving it up to themselves to find a way forward you know, our concern, which I'm sure you also share, is that unless there's a concrete proactive policy in place, um, most people affected by climate displacement will end up in the slums, either in Chittagong or in Dhaka or somewhere else. They'll end up landless. They'll end up without an income source. They'll end up poorer and sicker and live shorter, more miserable lives than they otherwise would if they had a decent place to live. And that's really the point where we're together um, trying to make uh, with OHOF. And, and another even larger point that we're trying to make simply is that people everywhere, doesn't, you don't have to be Bangladeshi to care about what happens to the people of Bangladesh. People across the world need to care not just about people everywhere, but specifically about the people of Bangladesh. And you should care about, we should all care about each other and really live our lives as if we were as we are one human family with allegiances to everyone and responsibility to everyone. And in our very small way, together with OHOF, we're really trying to make that point. Collectively, we can solve this problem, this huge global problem. But to do so, we need to involve everyone um, in this initiative. And that's certainly a big reason for having developed this program. And at the same time, you know, so many people do want to do something about climate change and about climate displacement, but they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. And OHOF is the perfect vehicle through which ordinary people in Germany or Brazil or South Africa or India or Russia or Australia or wherever they're from can actually play a positive role in tackling climate displacement concretely by participating as a donor, as a donator, uh, to the OHOF program, you know, and one of the unique things I think also about this program, of course, is that, you know, certainly from the displacement solution side, we can assure anyone that wants to contribute that 100% of any funds they contribute will go straight to Bangladesh and go straight towards the OHOF program. So they will know that, you know, all of their funds are going to solve towards solving the problems of some of the most vulnerable people. Um, in the world, um, who now live on Sandeep Island and elsewhere in the southeast um, of the country. So, um, how do you, do you think the government is taking on board the lessons learned so far from OHOF, or do we need to do more things to get this higher up on the agenda? What, what do you think we should do during phase three from an advocacy perspective? Yes, uh, well, um, um, you know, the uh, advocacy, the continuous process uh, to actually, uh, this is the problem, is the very huge problem. To solve this problem, we have to actually continue our advocacy as well as actually 
do some work in the grassroots in the uh, ground zero and um, you know already government uh, already uh, drafted one strategy for the climate induced displaced people and hopefully it will be approved very soon and government are positive to actually deal these issues but you know as you mentioned that there is a resource resource limitation in the bangladesh as we are actually struggling though we have that we have overcome many issues but still we need some technology and resource support and if international community come forward even in the in the individual level come forward to solve this problem this problem actually thereby that this problem will be solved and bangladesh government is uh, very active to tackle this climate climate uh, change effect in bangladesh particularly loss and damage and climate displacement issues and for the region actually they are now um, um, uh, drafted one strategy and we are very much hopeful that this strategy will be approved very soon and uh, our model we, we also showing this model as you know that bangladesh government has already different uh, housing uh, program in bangladesh this is not particularly the uh, displaced people but this is for the landless people but we are trying to actually make some recommendation to government and already we have provided different in the different seminar workshop and uh, in the one to one advocacy so uh, one house one family it is the one of the best option to relocate the people in the sustainable manner because the, if uh, this is the last scale of the relocation that time actually people may be stigmatized and uh, other host community may not expect them as we have seen in the in before in the government other our some uh, cluster bliss program so this model actually we are now promoting and it is already actually appreciated uh, by the uh, relevant government of, uh, department but need more advocacy and and it is actually continue advocacy to uh, to um, reach to our goal well that's excellent that's really good news so you know um we are always uh, um, amazingly impressed with the work that IPSA does generally and also specifically with regard to um, OHOF and, and we always consider it a great honor to work with both of you and IPSA more broadly on, um, on this project and I really hope we can continue this project into 2020 and beyond and that it can really grow into something that is known not just in Bangladesh but also really known globally and and used as a model for concretely addressing this uh, global crisis of climate displacement, which is affecting literally hundreds of millions of people throughout the world. In a few moments, we'll be speaking with Brian Gorlick, former UN official who visited some of the housing sites um, in, in eastern Bangladesh a few weeks ago to get his insights into... Um, how things are looking there. So with that, thank you so much, Arif and Shah Jahan, for all of your hard work. And it's a great pleasure to work with you. And I hope you all have a wonderful 2020 celebration and beyond. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, Scott Bai. Thank you, Scott. My pleasure. Um, an old friend and old colleague of mine, Brian Gorlick from Canada originally, um, who worked for 25 years or so with uh, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, now lives in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. And he was able to visit um, some of the houses that have been constructed uh, with our partners from IPSA. 
And he just went there a few weeks ago to um, check it out on site. And we are fortunate enough to have him here today from DACA. So, Brian, welcome. Thanks for coming to Jointly Venturing. Scott, thanks for inviting me, and I'm glad we could make this happen. There's a pretty good connection between two continents right now. Um, now, so tell us um, your impressions about your visit to, um, to the housing sites over by uh, Chittagong. Well, I, um, thanks to thanks you, to actually, you. I, I was put in touch with a couple colleagues, well, with colleagues from the uh, Chittagong-based NGO Youth Power and Social Action, who've been around for a very long time. They told me they um, began operations with a bunch of youth trying to do good social works and projects in 1985, which is actually the year before you and I met in Strasbourg. That's that true. Course. So um, that NGO is as uh, as old is as old as we are in terms of you know getting past our real youth and moving into a, you know the mature wise age that we're both at. And mm -hmm. they're they're a great bunch of folks, and they do a range of projects. I think fifty five zero different projects they're engaged in, and one of them is is your project, the project one house, one family, and. Um, so I, uh, because I'm in Dhaka and uh, have some time, and I'm like you and many of your listeners, I suppose, you know, interested in, in everything, I thought, why not go and pay them a visit? And um, they really graciously said, please come down. And they uh, put me in touch with their deputy director, Shahajan, who you know well. And he took me around with another colleague all day. Um, to see various projects. I mean, from a goat farming project to the one house, one family project to uh, rehabilitation for people who have physical impairment to um, an old folks community center in a, a particular area to a, a microfinance and loan scheme. Um, and it's, it's the kind of work that, you know, if there was... Um, a Ministry of Social Welfare, as you and I were speaking about, I mean, they, they're delivering on the ground a, a whole range of activities to underprivileged individuals and and not just delivering uh, programs, but, you know, empowering those individuals and, and building capacity. And, you know, for example, the work they do with the uh, visually impaired, it's not just training them, but it's also um, getting job placements and following up. And, and then those people you know, manage on their own. So again, the idea of ultimately setting people up and then ensuring that there isn't the dependency, but that they have support and they're able to manage on their own, which is of course the, you know, a desirable model. <coughs> and and the, the project that you started with them, um, they built four homes. I went to those four homes. I met those families. I went to the site where four more homes and possibly a fifth will be built. And um, it's, it's incredibly impressive and it's really transformational for those families, of course. They were uh, displaced as a result of rising sea levels from an island off the southeast uh, coast of uh, Chittagong. And um, there are approximately 1,500, I think, families that are in that position on this particular island. Very difficult to choose which families would be able to benefit from a program because it's, um, it would be a real challenge to try and build homes for all of them. 
but we can talk a little bit more about the philosophy, I guess, of the, the project you're engaged in. But, you know, they, the initial four families have moved. They're in homes that have been built within existing communities that are themselves supportive of these families. And that's key. So they're not off on their own somewhere. They're actually um, transplanted to, you know, existing communities, which uh, IPSA, the acronym for the NGO, had contact with and continues to have contact with to prepare them for who's coming and to ensure that they would get a, a good arrival and support. And, and, and one of the questions I asked the families that had moved to these homes, which are very solid cement walled, um, corrugated sheet metal roof, but, um, you know, solid, solid little homes with two bedrooms with a, a, a little, um, um, latrine, but you know, again, built within the the, the walls of the home, a kitchen, um, runoff for sewage, runoff for water, with running water, with electricity. Um, they're they're decent shelters and homes for these families, and and everybody seemed to be uh, really well settled there, and and they welcomed me into the homes, and I could take a look, and uh, again, these are these are poor families that are um, largely subsistence with some market exposure, uh, agriculture driven people, but they, they have, um, you know, opportunities to establish themselves in these communities. I met the children, the children go to a local school, the kids look beautiful and bright and eager. And um, it was just at the time when some of them had um, finished their exams, um, their term exams. And of course, like anybody who'd been a student, I said, how did that go? And, and without fail, um, and it seemed like a pretty genuine response, they said it, it was good and, and we did well and we're, we're confident. Because I asked, why aren't you at school? But they said, well, we just finished our exam. So we, the exams being finished, we get some time off. So, you know, you should be proud, um, Scott, with what you've done there and, and as well through the delivery of a local NGO because uh, it's it's truly transformed these families' lives, as as sometimes humanitarian slash human rights work can do. You know the challenge in terms of the needs and demands and what can be delivered is, especially in the context of Bangladesh, which has all sorts of you know purely geographic challenges in terms of space, uh, are, are clear. I mean, fifteen hundred families in need. Uh, eight or nine will have an opportunity to benefit from this particular program. But when I asked Shahajan about that, he said, look, you know, the, the, we're not, it, it would be difficult, if not impossible, I guess nothing's impossible, but, you know, difficult to, to find the resources for all of the families. But, but it's a very good model, and it's a model that could be replicated elsewhere. Um, and, and, and I agree with him fully, you know, it's the sort of thing that is feasible it works um you know again placing these families in communities which were already um, well established and well functioning communities um which could if you will receive and welcome and absorb these new families who are also uh, engaged in the same sort of economic activities with frankly like all of us the same aspirations for themselves and their children that they're safe and they have enough to eat and they can manage their lives and they, they have a, a, a good future. 
um, it's it's a very good model. And and I think, you know, I'm glad you're doing the podcast because, you know, more people should know about it and, and more sh- people should um, try and see how they could support this kind of work, whether in Bangladesh where the needs are significant, but elsewhere. Yeah, right. Well, you know, part of the reason we did this was simply to, you know, make the point that unless there's some measure of external involvement in directly assisting climate displaced families, the default option for virtually all of them, particularly in the developing world, but increasingly in the developed world as well, is either, you know, the slum in the big city or some extremely poor neighborhood in a place that they really don't want to live. And that's the future that awaits us unless we have, you know, collectively at a planetary level, proactive policies and laws and programs in place that are actually designed specifically to assist this group of displaced people, which will be far, far, far larger than the current, you know, 71 million people that UNHCR, your former employer, Uh uh looking after today. And, you know, if you imagine numbers 5, 10, 15 times larger than what's already uh, an almost unmanageable caseload of people, um, you know, the future does not look particularly bright. So that's one of the motivations behind it, that even though Bangladesh itself is responsible for a minuscule portion of global CO2 emissions in the overall scheme of things, um, its people are some of the most directly affected victims of CO2 emissions and climate change. And as much as we might not want to accept it, um, it remain, it's not the countries that create climate change that are likely to pay for the solution. It really rests on the shoulders of the governments in the countries where the displacement is happening. And that's why we you know, really want to make the point that you know, Bangladesh simply can't wait for the world to provide it with the millions of dollars needed. So one of the big motivations that we had in developing this program is, is making the simple point, not only are climate displaced people everywhere rights holders, you know, people that have pre-existing human rights that need to be respected and protected, but the governments in countries where climate displacement is a problem simply will never have the resources needed to satisfy the housing, land, and property needs of the entire climate-displaced population, particularly in a country like Bangladesh, which has done so little to contribute to global CO2 levels, but which is facing the, the situation that no country would ever want to have, which is a third of its population facing long-term permanent displacement because of climate change. So we're trying to make the point that, yes, the international community should pay for these things, but ultimately it remains the responsibility of every government, even if they're not responsible for climate change, to look after the rights of their people. And an interventionary approach, an approach which allows the state to see where climate displacement is happening, where it's likely to occur, putting planning measures in place, and more, most importantly, new housing and land resources in place, is the first step towards solving this global crisis. Well, you know, Scott, that's exactly what um, uh, Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina of Bangladesh said at the 
meeting in Madrid on the 2nd of December, which was widely, you know, front page news in, in Bangladesh. And I'm just quoting from the one of my favorite newspapers, if I can give it a shout out, the Daily Star of Bangladesh. And it uh, says as follows, it quotes Sheikh Hasina as follows, you know, as our people will be displaced for no fault of ours, we expect the international community to shoulder the responsibility of accommodating them and providing them with livelihood. Now she goes on to say that the replenishment of the um, fund to fight climate change, which I believe is a something like a hundred billion dollar annual contribution has to continue. But, right. but also I'd add to the various uh, points that you mentioned, although perhaps you did mention it, uh, but you know, parliaments have to take responsibility, legislatures and parliaments. And, and interestingly, just yesterday evening, we, we happened to meet a, a um, you know, Charlotte and I, my wife, uh, we met a senior government official and it was at, at a kind of social event, but he made a little presentation. The presentation was a resolution that's been introduced in the Bangladeshi parliament precisely on climate change and how both internationally and nationally it has to become part and parcel of the fabric of policy making across the board. Um, Bangladesh, right. Right. like a number of other countries, is had some uh, much celebrated economic growth, but you know that economic growth comes with a cost. And um, there's a number of challenges on the horizon, including energy production and electricity production for a country like Bangladesh, which it's estimated, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, Bangladesh may be uh, heavily reliant on coal uh, on coal usage for electricity production. So those kinds of contradictions have to be addressed, but. But, but it, you know, hats off to Bangladesh for not just, you know, the leadership going to Madrid and speaking truth to power, speaking truth to, you know, other countries that were in the room, but, but also at a, a national level um, saying we also have to do something within our own policymaking and legislature. And, and it's timely that they have introduced this resolution that hopefully will help shape some of the not just policies, but some of the approaches, both in the public sphere and, and private sphere, moving forward. And I have to say, you know, after that presentation last night to a group of, funny enough, you know, University of Toronto alumni who happened to be in Bangladesh, but, a, you know, a bright group of people who are doing various things, mm -hmm. both public sector and mostly private sector, they're all on board, you know, and that's encouraging too. I mean, that's the future of a country like Bangladesh. They get it. Like I met bankers and lawyers and other people, but largely doing, if you will, commercial and money-driven work, but they get it. They understand that the only way you can be competitive and have um, you know, a credible business model and development model moving forward is to is to fund and support um, uh, practices and, and projects that make sense and that very much take into account um, our our global concerns about about climate change and how to mitigate, if not reduce, never mind eliminate the the risks that we're creating every day. So, you know, another anecdote, if you will, from Bangladesh, but. Um, you know, it's, it's fresh news, and, and in that regard, your podcast on this topic is very timely. And then again, at the personal level, at the family level, yeah, there's people affected every day. And, and you know, one day they have a home, and the next day their home is underwater, and it's not coming back. So, you know, what do you do, what do, you do for those people? Um, so range of things from, you know, macro to micro that we have to address, but we have to keep it on the agenda. Um, seems thus far we're able to do that. 
Well, we need to raise its profile on the agenda even more, you know. But, you know, Bangladesh is... Uh, we've been working bang in Bangladesh with IPSA for about eight or nine years now. And, you know, the one of the most striking things, I think, to any outsider about Bangladesh is that is the incredible optimism that people have there and dedication and determination to make things better despite all odds you know and because it's very easy to go to bangladesh and just stand there and observe and say you know there's just no possible way this place is ever going to get better because it's yeah. just so totally out of control the poverty is so extensive the misery is so huge you know the weather conditions are so bad its geography is so bad all these things that it can't change and yet you know, they continue to have pretty high levels of economic growth. They've almost eradicated um, famine and starvation, which used to be really widespread and prevalent in the country. I mean, they've made incredible strides. You bet. Um, but, you know, a teeny country, you know, I mean, this podcast is being recorded in the state of Victoria in Australia. You could fit two Bangladeshes into the state of Victoria size-wise. Um, and we have about five or six million people in the whole state. Um, if you did that at the same ratio, there'd be 350 million people in Victoria. And that, that is just a shocking realization of just how crowded um, Bangladesh is. But having said that, you know, we, we commissioned a whole bunch of studies there over the past few years. And we identified land resources all across the country, which could be used as possible um, relocation sites for uh, climate displaced communities. You know, that's great. That's great. It's great. not, and we, you know, they're listed by name in these publications, and their their geographical coordinates are there, and so on and so over the ownership question, all those questions are there. Um, but it's actually you trans transforming that into real life action is, uh, you know, always difficult. But this issue really needs to be raised much more, uh, much higher on the political agenda, not just of Bangladesh, but of of every country, because. You know, even, you know, one community in the state of Louisiana in the United States um, is being relocated now at a cost of several hundred million dollars for for about, I forget the precise number, but 100 or 200 people, right? So we're talking staggering figures that the world could simply not pay for at that level. So we need to find, you know, concrete, affordable, practical, rights-based, concrete ways that people can not end up landless or homeless you know one of the things we've been proposing in myanmar next door to uh bangladesh is the idea and and globally really but we did a big study on myanmar on this was to the idea of every government setting up a, a national climate land bank um so that the state could amass public land into a, a land bank of sorts redesignated as climate displacement land and then set it aside remove it from the market and use it and allocate it to communities as they become um, displaced or no longer able to live where they're living, and you know something like that really needs to you know be be undertaken in all go all governments in the world because unless we do that, we are truly going to have a world where <laughs> slum levels, which are already 700, 800, 900 million people, are going to probably double or even triple in size. Um, by 2050, and that's just a world that we don't want to have, and and that's kind of in in a way that you know the chief motivation behind the whole one house one family thing. We got to build the planet that we want to have, 
you know we can't just let and that's true across the board not just in terms of climate displacement or bangladesh or anything else but generally speaking you know we need to give options and and have ideas and be creative and make the impossible possible because that's the world in which we want to live and given the fact that we only have one and we treat it as if we have a lot of spare earths in the, in our back pocket somehow um we really need to change behaviors on just so many fronts you know so um what else can you tell us about your visit to the house? Does anything else stand out? I mean, I think one of the things you mentioned, which is really interesting and really a, a driven by IPSA, and very different actually than lots of the climate planned relocation going on today in, say, Fiji or Panama, a range of other countries where we also work with where planned relocation is underway. Um, in a lot of those cases, entire communities move together and they want to move together, but they generally right. tend to move either onto their own land, in the case of Panama, indigenous uh, Guna people on the Caribbean islands, they're moving onto the mainland, but it's moving from indigenous land onto indigenous land as a collective. Similar things are happening in Fiji, range of other countries as well. The Bangladesh model, it's quite difficult to do that because of the stigma that would be attached to those people were they to move in large numbers into an area that was already, you know, lived in and occupied by other, other people. So the, the strategy of IPSA to have very small settlements, very small numbers of people integrate directly into the local pre-existing community and economy really sounds like the best way forward. And you saw that and you noticed yeah. that seemingly working. Well, I mean, there's, um, I'd even, you know, the one community where the four homes are established, um, you know, next door, if you will, the next door neighbor was one woman who I saw because, you know, I showed up with other people. And, uh, you know, of course, I stick out because I'm from Canada and I happen to be a Caucasian guy. And so there's a little bit of activity and fuss. But, you know, the woman next door is um, um, kind of the overseer, if you will. Like, I mean, she she's a, an important person in the community even before these people move there and she has these folks as her next door neighbor and I asked about that and it was you know yeah so you know she she helps um, watch over them a little bit you know in a good way mm -hmm. and um, and I'm sure that makes them feel secure and it makes them feel that you know as we all need when we're trying something new you know, I can go to somebody for advice or I can ask, how does it work? And if that person in particular in the community is, is well-connected and knowledgeable and, and warm and kind, then, then you win, right? That's the best arrangement you can have. And it seems that's what they did. So, um, and that's what they plan to do subsequently. And, but, I mean, it also is a, a reflection of the Bangladeshi people. Um, you know, people here, for all the challenges this country have, people here are just fantastic and and they are resilient and they are curious and it's a young nation you know lest we forget during our lifetime this this nation was created in 1971 on the back of a right. the, probably the world's largest recorded refugee crisis and so they show a generosity and tolerance um sometimes in absolute <coughs> chaotic circumstances which is quite remarkable and and you know the fact that they have permitted a, a you know close to a million Rohingya refugees or a million re refugees to to be in a country that was already overpopulated, living in a, 
camp situation, which hopefully will change sometime, um, in a very poor area of, of Bangladesh in itself is remarkable. And I can think of no other nations on earth that would, would do that, or very few, let's say. Um, and they, uh, you know, people I've spoken to about that, including, you know, government officials, Bangladesh government officials have said, look, you know, that's our legacy of, of the state being created on the back of a refugee crisis and some very poignant stories I was told by some people were, you know, I remember being in, in India as a refugee and seeing UNHCR emblazoned on the side of the trucks and, and, and they gave us food. And, and then, you know, we were able to come back and we had this new nation and here I am in a senior government position. He said, you know, we, we don't forget these things. This shapes our outlook and our ethos as a nation. And, um, and so, yeah, people should, can learn from Bangladesh and that ethos and that approach to their fellow human beings, but also to, um, you know, neighbors would be citizens um, who who are expelled in violent circumstances and welcoming them. So, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, if you've done the groundwork to do more of this, hopefully, you could find the ground level um, political will and means to make it happen. You're in good hands with IPSA because they are a very capable and effective and well connected NGO. Um, and listen, I, I was delighted to be, you know, in a little way, a part of it. And, um, thanks again to you, Scott, for making the introduction. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful trip. I sent you some photographs. If there's any way that you can, uh, technologically show your listeners, my photographs, then they'll, they'll have the whole picture. Yeah, well, they're on the uh, Displacement Solutions website front page right now. As far out, including Far-out. one of you, including one of you with a shovel in your hand digging the concrete. Nice yeah, I, 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 yeah, I worked for about three minutes moving that, and then I thought, yeah, um, I'll hand it to somebody who knows what they're doing. But, there was uh, a lot but of that time. was at the site. That was at the site of where the new houses are happening, and that yeah. wasn't concrete. That's actually building the road to the site. So oh, that's actually, yeah, right. Okay. You right. bet. And right. so there was no, you know, they have to fortify uh, a little embankment so there can be a road so they can move in the materials to build the homes. But remarkably efficient, as I recall, once they get started with the foundation and everything, I think these homes go up in a couple months. So, I mean, again, talk about uh, making things happen. Um, yeah, you know, and they're pretty, solid, pretty fantastic. Solid homes, as you said. And, you know, um, just so, you know, listeners know, whoever you are, Dear listener, just think of how much the house costs that you're living in right now, wherever you are in the world, and know that to fully house a Bangladesh family of six people in a in a permanent home, including the cost of land and windows and doors and everything else associated with it, is eight thousand three hundred and twelve U.S. dollars. So on the one hand, it sounds like a lot. On the other, it's pretty minuscule for what you get out of it. And that's, you know, that's what we need to raise every time that we build a new house, you know. And to date, um, something in the range of like 35 to 40 people have given um, donations since the program started. So that's how it all happens. And, you know, we can always, uh, we do all of this pro bono um, for free, of course, and we raise as much money as we can and we channel it directly to Bangladesh, 100% of it, and they then do all the necessary work to actually get the houses off the ground. So uh, we'll be writing to the, to the contributors 
soon to give them an update. And, you know, we really look forward to starting the, f the third phase, getting up to 20 houses by the end of 2020. So the 2020 reality is what we're shooting for. So anything else you want to add, Brian, before we uh, wrap it up tonight? Well, um, no, not really. Apart from um, I support what you've just said to your listeners. If there's any, you know, any amount helps. And, um, you know, in addition to going to your website, Displacement Solutions, you know, to check out what's happening with um, IPSA, Y-P-S-A, Youth Power and Social Action. Young Power, Young Power. Oh, Young Power. I thought yeah. it was Youth Power. Yeah. But, but the... Um, the, you know, to check them out as well. And even I know they would uh, love just having a word of support from from people who are abroad. I mean, they're 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 doing work that we would all support. You're right. It is young power. We, we're doing work that we, you know, can we'd all support. And, um, you know, sometimes the support, even with a kind word, can really give a boost to people who are doing this kind of work. And and I just like to say um as I know you're going to interview them as well, but you know, mm -hmm. uh, thanks very much to Mohammed uh, Shahajan and Arif, the the director, and and Shahajan is the deputy director, and, and the other members of the team who you know who showed me around and took care of me and just kind of uh, um, received me like an old friend, and I just met them for the first time, and um, you know, and they're very fond of you, Scott, and what you're doing and the connections, and I, you know. I, we've known each other for years, but I thought the description of you was fantastic when Shahajan said to me, yes, Scott, he has a jolly mind and we <laughs> love working with him. And I thought, yeah, that's it, man. He's jolly got mind. a jolly mind. J.M. Scott Leckie. Yeah, put those initials after your name as a kind of new title, J.M. J.M. instead of T.M. <laughs> Not trademark, jolly mind. Jolly mind. Good. So, um, Thanks a million, Brian, for going to check out the houses and for being with us today. And um, My pleasure. Keep up the great work and enjoy Bangladesh for as long as you're there. Okay, man. Bye for now. Bye. Well, thank you to Reef and Shah Jahan from IPSA, and thank you to Brian Gorlick, formerly from UNHCR, now resident of Dhaka those really interesting discussions about our program one house one family in Bangladesh so as I said at the beginning of episode 15 today um, ultimately really this episode is providing you with a pathway to change the world to make the world a better place and we hope we made the case uh, about how you as an individual your friends your co-workers Anyone that you know, really, can play a really positive role in trying to find concrete solutions to climate displacement. Our fellow human beings who are suffering greatly uh, in Bangladesh today, if you're at all interested in making a contribution to the One House, One Family program, all you have to do is write to us directly at either Oneness World or Displacement Solutions. So that's info at onenessworld.org or info at displacementsolutions.org and we will then walk you through the very simple process of how to deposit money straight into the OHOF account. 
As you heard, we are planning phase three uh, to commence the early part of 2020, where we'll again try to build additional homes in the country. Um, we're going to target 12 homes as our goal so that we have 20 homes by the end of 2020, providing accommodation to more than 100 people um, in that country. All of us share the same earth. All of us have essentially the same needs and wishes. And during this holiday season, as we transition from the year 2019, the very, let's say, uh, difficult to describe year of 2019, uh, with so much happening and so much going on, uh, let's hope that 2020 brings us a period of time whereby we rediscover the importance of our unity as one human family, the importance of compassion and empathy in all of the decisions that we make, not only about ourselves and our families, but the world as a whole. That every single one of us, all 7.75 billion, are entirely dependent planet Earth for our very life and for our very survival, and certainly for the survival of our civilization and our species. We are at a very challenging historical juncture now. We need to make collectively the right decisions. We need to use our wisdom and our grace, our kindness, and our love to guide the decisions that we make. We're all in it together, whether we like it or not. It's time to start sharing. It's time to start thinking about others. It's time to move the era of individualism and greed into the era of compassion, concern, and solidarity. So with that, I wish all of you a wonderful 2020 and all the best to you, family, your loved ones, your friends, your fellow citizens, most of all, everyone alive today across our incredible, irreplaceable, entirely unique planet. Fare thee well for the time being.